Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bible. Uh, We are continuing on in our summer series in the Gospel of Matthew. We will be in Matthew 13 this morning, verse 1. And as you turn there, I want to to pose a question. And I don't think I'm alone in this, but maybe this is the opportunity for me to find that I am alone. But do you ever struggle to listen to other people? Do you struggle to listen? Uh, Now, uh, I'm celebrating 12 years of marriage with Amber this morning, and if there's one slogan for us, it's to always struggle with communication, right? That is just what, it's like we're missing airwaves. She's on a different frequency. Uh, But early on in our marriage, I picked up on this, and uh, she would be sharing a story, and I don't know if it was my maybe lack of reaction or response, or maybe it was uh, I, I I wasn't sharing the emotion that she wanted me to, and she would ask, are you even listening and my pride and defense mechanism would kick in and I would say, test me. Ask me a question. Uh, you know, that says a lot about me probably. And, it, and she would proceed to ask questions. Sometimes I would do stupendous. And I would think in my head, that was a miracle. I have no idea how I did that, right? And there would be other times where she'd say, see, you weren't even listening to me. Now, that is not a lesson on healthy communication disciplines in marriage, right? So don't, don't take that as a prescription this morning. That is a description of my marriage uh, early on. <clears throat> but now fast forward, and we have children. And if you are a parent, you know this. And they have a sixth sense to understand when you are completely exhausted. And that is their moment that they would like to share with you the longest story you have ever heard in your life. And as their little tongue revs up, you just brace for it. And they begin sharing about their friend's third cousin who did that thing two years ago on that thing. Maybe it was a year ago, and, and you just brace. Amber and I, we look at each other, and we just say, buckle up it's going to be a long one, right? Like, I mean, and it is with a smile that you listen and you try to, uh-huh, okay, buddy, yeah, uh-huh, is it going to end, uh-huh, right? And it just keeps, keeps going. And, you, you know, this, this, again, maybe says something about me, but in my heart, I'm quick to say, it's not that I'm a bad listener. It's that they are a bad talker. It's that It's that they are not sharing interesting things. Or maybe they're just sharing too many interesting things. It has nothing to do with my ability to listen or not. And even as a pastor, I know what James 1.19 says. But in my heart of hearts, I have retranslated that to say, be quick to speak and slow to listen. Because I know the greatest ministry doesn't happen when I open my mouth. It happens when my ears are open and my mouth is closed. And you know, in all of this, I really don't think I'm alone. So do you ever find it hard to listen to others? I mean like actively listen. Phone 
down, like screen not even near you, right? Not a TV in sight. You are eyes locked in and you are listening and you're responding, you're engaging, and it, it's difficult. And so this morning, we're going to look at a parable that, shares, that shows how this trouble with listening plays out in our relationship with the Lord. And it's called the parable of the sower. So read with me in Matthew 13. We're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then Jesus, or Matthew, uh, the writer of this gospel, inserts uh, a description of why Jesus is speaking and teaching in parables. And that message will come uh, on July 4th weekend, and uh, John will be sharing that with you. And, and if you're asking, why is Jesus teaching or speaking in this way, that answer will come. It just is not for this morning. So let's uh, go over that, and let's go to where Jesus interprets the parable of the sower for us. Hear then the parable of the sower, verse 18. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And maybe it's appropriate to end with he who has ears, let him hear. So do we have ears this morning? Are we eager to hear what the Word of God says for us? Now, each synoptic gospel author included this parable in their gospel. And so it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So if you like to continue your study of the sermon in the following week, I would encourage you to uh, print out or maybe put a post-it note on Matthew 13, what we just read together, and then flip over to Mark 4, 2 through 9, and then Luke 8, four through eight. Print those out and look at them, compare them, look at the details. And that is, is where uh, three different 
people are writing about the same story that Jesus told. And may we enrich in our understanding of the parable of the sower. So I would encourage you to do that. And each gospel writer finds it critical for us to hear this message this morning. That they recognize that Jesus' teaching on parable of the sower that this prayer, that our prayer this morning should be that this teaching would not fall on deaf ears. In our context, Jesus is leaving the house that his mother and his brothers came to him and were looking for him. And he leaves and he goes down to the Sea of Galilee. He's surrounded by a large crowd so much and that crowd is pressing in on him that the appropriate place of teaching would be in a boat. And so he begins teaching. And really this chapter marks a turning point in Matthew's gospel. So if you're following along, in Matthew's gospel we're looking at the Messiah's mission. And his mission is to declare the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. And here we see the parable. Now Jesus had made comparisons and light parables before. But this is the fully developed parable for the first time in Matthew 13. And Jesus has moved from teaching in the synagogues and performing miracles. More miracles will come, of course. But those were his primary ministries. But now he's moved outside to large crowds. Those large crowds will dwindle because his teaching is now shifting from the synagogue to the large crowds outside and it's getting hard to hear. It's getting hard to accept. It's getting hard to obey Now, a parable is where Jesus or where someone places a comparison, a simile, or a metaphor along something that is a lived experience. So it takes something in real life and it applies it to a spiritual truth. One commentator said, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a comparison. It plays two things right beside itself for us to learn a spiritual truth. our parable this morning is titled in most Bibles as the parable of the sower. Now, if you were to be observant and realize that that is not my title, you'd think, why? Because the, the emphasis, the focus of this parable is not the sower. It's, it's not even the seed. We don't call it the parable of the seed. It's the parable of the soils. Now, I'm not saying that in the sense that the sower and the seed are unimportant. No way. I would never say that, nor should anyone. But the focus, the teaching, the emphasis is on a diagnosis of these soils. The main point of the parable is that one message can produce different results because of the different hearers or soils. And despite working amid hard hearts, competing pressures, and even failure, it will produce an abundant crop. As we look at Jesus' interpretation of his parable, I am confident that we will see the sower sows, the seed grows, and the soil that hears produces abundantly. Let me say that again. The sower sows, The seed grows, and the soil that hears produces abundantly. The crowd is gathered at the Sea of Galilee, and they're surrounded by fields. And hearing hearing 
Jesus teach from a boat, many of those would have experienced exactly what he begins to share. They would be thinking, well, I, I do know what it's like to, to cast seed and to see the birds swoop down and take the seed and go, ah, oh, come on, right? I do remember seeing the seed sprout up quickly and think, oh, yeah, here we go. This is going to, but wisdom tells me that that seed, that little sprout will be scorched by the sun because of the depth of soil. So here, Jesus is connecting with this crowd and they're thinking, yes, this is something that I have experienced. And then he interprets it for them to show a truth of the kingdom. So here, Jesus uses this common experience to teach the crowd about how the gospel seed grows. When it is scattered, it is not fruitful everywhere. But when the seed finds good soil, it produces an abundant crop. So let's examine these three parts, the sower, the seed, and the soils. So first, we recognize the truth that the sower sows. Matthew connects for us who the sower is at the beginning of the story. In verse 1, it says, the same day Jesus went out of the house. And then in the so and then we see that the sower uses the same verb, a sower went out to sow. And then in verse 37, we recognize that the Son of Man is the one who sows the gospel seed. So who is the sower? Well, it's Jesus, of course. He, he, of course, he is the one casting the seed in ears. He's the one casting the seed. The great sower, but then has entrusted to us the same gospel message. At my first reading of this parable, though, <clears throat> I have to confess, I really wondered if the sower knew what he was doing. I'm thinking, why are you throwing seed along the path? I mean, when I even fertilize or lay some grass seed down, I am very precise on where that seed goes and where it doesn't. Because I know if that seed is cast into my flower bed, I'm going to be dealing with that problem, like in the parable, and I'm going, I'm not doing that. So does the sower really know what he's doing? So I kind of put him under investigation. I was like, and really in my heart of hearts, this is a spiritual reality as well. There are times when I think, does God know what he's doing? He has this right, right? Like I need, some, I need a confidence boost here. There are two things that I found here, though. The first is a misunderstanding of the context. So in this day, we, we're, when we think of agriculture, we think of pre-marked fields, we think of tilling the ground and laying the seed. This is the common practice in their day. They wouldn't necessarily have fields set aside. They would have areas that were functioned as fields, but there would largely be paths, walking paths through the field. And they would cast the seed before they tilled the ground. So now uh, I'm told, right, I am, I am not a farmer, but I am told we till the ground, we work the ground, we lay the seed, we cast the seed, and then we do it again. But for Jesus in his context, they would first cast the seed and then work the ground. So it is a misunderstanding of the context. And second, we also see in a minute how the seed is the gospel. And this is a statement for where we broadcastly spread the seed. 1 Timothy 2.4. This is one I'm afraid we forget. God does, in fact, desire 
all people to be saved. Who? All people. The world. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. We are called to bear the message of Christ indiscriminately. Because the gospel saves indiscriminately. I have to confess, there are times in my life when I look at someone and I have forgotten what I've been forgiven of and I look at them and I think, oh, I don't think the gospel's going to do anything in their life. Ah, you know, I mean, I could share. I, I could love them. I could try to connect with them or, or I could uh, start to evangelize a little bit, but I just don't. And you know what that says? It says nothing of them. It says everything of who I think I am. I have forgotten what I have been forgiven of. And I wonder, can the gospel save them too? Listen, if the gospel can save me, it can save anyone. If the gospel can save you, it can save anyone. May we never look at the soil of someone's life and say, nothing can grow there. Nothing could grow there. May we be reminded of the transformation that's happened in our own. As I placed the sower under investigation, I quickly realized that the sower is found faithful. And then my eyes turned to me and I went, am I? There are times in my life when I presented an opportunity to share Christ, to love someone, to serve someone. And I just think, that'd be a little awkward. That's a lot of work. I'm tired today. I don't feel like doing that. I wonder if you've ever had that moment. See, the sower is found faithful. But if Christ would return today, are you casting the seed as he is? A sower went out to sow. Maybe that truth in verse 3 is more impactful than when we first read it. A sower went out to sow. What does a sower do? He sows, of course, right? You're thinking, what? Well, if that's point one, I've got this. Like, I'm ready. What does a disciple do? He disciples. There is no definition for a disciple that doesn't mean they make disciples. Inherent in our definition of disciples of Jesus Christ is that they make disciples of Jesus Christ. Christ. It is who we are. It is not something we do. It is a message that we bear in our words and our lives, not something we share sometimes. So if the good sower came back, would he find you sowing seed as he did? He's entrusted us with the message, may we be found faithful. So first in our parable, we see that the sower can't help but to sow. And may disciples be those who can't help but make disciples. And then we see the seed grows. The seed grows. The seed, as stated above, is the word of God. It is the secret of the kingdom of heaven. This is what makes the kingdom of heaven so different than any other kingdom. When you think of kingdoms, you probably think of expanding reigns. And how does, how does a king expand his reign? He does so by military force, by correction, by conquering. It's kind of like a boulder comes in. 
It smashes everything in its path. But the gospel is not compared to a boulder. The gospel is compared to a seed. The boulder comes in hot and smashes the ground. The seed grows quietly. The boulder smashes the outside. The seed grows inside. The boulder comes in quick, but the seed is gradual and gentle. The boulder creates a crater, but the seed transforms the soil. This is why so many people in Jesus' day, including John the Baptist, the forerunner of the faith, missed the kingdom of heaven. You know what John the Baptist did when he was imprisoned? He sent his disciples. What? You remember this? He sent his disciples to Jesus. Not to encourage him, not to be like, you got it, man. To ask, you're the guy, right? You're the Messiah, right? This is not how I pictured this whole thing going. Because the kingdom of heaven is different than any other kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the gospel seed is different. But here's the promise from Jesus. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against the kingdom of God. Nothing can stand in its way. Just because it's different than our expectations does not mean there's any difference in significance, strength, power, or hope. Just as the sower can't help but to sow, the seed can't help but to grow. If given time, the seed would grow in every soil because that is what a seed does. It tries to grow. And in our lives as Christians, this is a parable not simply about conversion. This is a parable about how the seed changes everything. It grows gradually in your life. The gospel is not something for those who are coming to faith. The gospel is for Christians. Period. It's for every day of your faith. You wake up in the morning And you remind yourself of what you've been forgiven. All the reasons you have to be thankful for the Lord. And you say, I will faithfully walk with you. Not because of what I have done, but because of what you have done for me on my behalf. The sower is not the focus of this parable. The seed is not the focus of the parable. It is the soil that we diagnose now. The soil is in question. The sower is Jesus and the seed is the gospel announcement of his kingdom. Yet, when we don't see people respond to the, to the gospel, do you know what we question? We don't question the soil, we question the seed. Sometimes we question the sower and we think, God, do you know what you're doing here? Do you really know? I mean, do you see how, what the world is doing? This is crazy. But then we turn our eyes to the seed. And we think we need more people to respond. So maybe let's cut this out of the kingdom. Let's not share about that in the Bible. Let's not go to those verses. Let's make this more acceptable for these people so that more will respond to an altar call. We change the seed into some synthetic seed that's not even the gospel anymore. We can't do anything, tampering, changing that seed. Our eyes should not turn to the seed or the sower. It should turn to the soil. We, out of the desire to tickle ears, 
we change the gospel. We change the kingdom. We say, well, that might be acceptable. Oh, yeah, it says that, but it's in, it's in that weird book of the Bible. How dare we? We are bearers of the message of the kingdom. The gospel, when it is scattered like a seed, is not everywhere fruitful because it is not always met with good soil. The sower casts the seed, and as God's word is shared, it lands on soil, which are our hearts. The kingdom of God is different than any other kingdom that has come before. The kingdom can be missed. So may we have ears to hear this morning of what truly is the kingdom of heaven. And it can be easy for us to hear the word of God as we share and us to think, man, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Well, my heart's not hard towards the gospel because I'm a believer. I don't need to know this at all. You, check, you kind of check boxes like, no, not me, not me. Well, I'm great. Okay, live my life. Come back next week. May we humbly go before the Lord and ask him and say, would you please grow the gospel in my life? Would you grow the gospel seed and change me? Because I haven't arrived. I will never arrive on this side of eternity. And I am committed to walk faithfully with you. Now we turn our eyes to the last point. The soil that hears produces abundantly. The soil that hears produces abundantly. And after each soil that we look at, I'm going to have a diagnostic question. This is something for you to take, maybe ask yourself, write down, journal about, and to consider, is this true of me? Where is this true of me? How has my heart turned hard to the gospel? How, what am I holding back from him? And the first soil that we see is the soil along the path. This is what Jesus describes are people who listen with hard hearts. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Jesus says there will be some who hear the gospel message, but before they can even understand it, the evil one snatches it away. Like a seed sitting along a path, the devil comes in and snatches away the truth of God's word before it can even root itself. Have we been lulled into thinking that there isn't another kingdom at work? Have we been lulled into thinking that there is not the domain of darkness actively working against the kingdom of heaven? Sure, our... uh, Enemies work in the physical world as well. We face trials and temptations in the physical world, but may we never succumb to the idea that there is not spiritual warfare all around us. The devil is not sitting on his hands. The devil is actively at work. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12. Our battle does play out in the physical world, but there is a spiritual reality, a spiritual warfare all around us. If the kingdom of heaven is advancing, the domain of darkness is working against it. If you wonder if 
If you wonder if this is happening around you, there are two questions. One, are you a threat to the domain of darkness? Two, are you aware? You could come to church, you could read Christian books, you could write Christian books for all I care. There's no mark of spirituality. If Jesus is just a theory to you, if the gospel has not rooted in you and changed your heart, then Jesus remains theoretical. There's no faith in that. So the question to ask is, has the gospel taken root? Has the gospel taken root? Has it radically transformed your life? When a seed grows, its roots transform the soil. It never stops growing. In the first soil, there was no understanding. And the seed never even sprung up. And we're going to see a progression of time, a progression of growth here. And the next soil we get to is the rocky soil. In verse 20, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. At this point, you're thinking, yes, this is good. Fruit of the Spirit right here. He's receiving it with joy, verse 21. Yet, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, he falls away. Not, not only he falls away, immediately. Immediately he falls away. At the sign of persecution, he goes, ah, I'm out. This was cool for a while. It was a good thought, but I'm not doing this. Those with hearts like the rocky ground are those who listen to the word of God with great emotion. They get really excited about it. They're moved in the emotional altar call. They come forward and they say, I will give my life to Jesus. And I'm not saying anything about emotional experiences. I actually think we should have more of those in the church. We have swung the pendulum maybe too far and said our emotions are bad. Our heart is evil, but that does not make emotions bad. We need to connect God, connect with God fully. But emotions alone, emotions with a shallow heart, is a plague of our day. A feeling of being spiritual with no interest in the disciplines of spirituality. We call this a camp high. Or he's on fire, right? Not in basketball, but in the Christian walk. He's on fire, right? Which is never a good thing. That's a terrible analogy. Anytime in the Bible he's on fire, that's bad, right? It's away from the Lord, not good, right? But here we see an emotional response. And then right when they're faced with the question of discomfort. If Jesus isn't going to make me comfortable, why am I doing this? Comparing the rocky soil to the path, the main difference is that they've moved from the theoretical, Jesus in theory, to having a personal response to him a personal response say they see God as an opportunity to be blessed but not as a savior they think wow that does sound good that preacher what he's talking about there all the benefits of the kingdom I'm in but when the arrows of the enemy come they say I'm out 
They wanted bread, but not the bread of life. They saw Jesus as an escape from their suffering, not a savior for their sins. This is not a new problem for the Christian. John Calvin said this, We have too many of this class in our own day. This is in the 16th century, right? Who eagerly embrace the gospel and shortly afterwards fall off. For they have not the lively affection that is necessary to give them firmness and perseverance. True affection of Christ will always bring about perseverance through persecution. It's not a problem just for our day. It is a problem since Jesus' arrival. The kingdom of heaven is at work and the enemy is at work as well. Matthew 10, 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In order to find life in Christ, we must sacrifice ours. The diagnostic question here is, have you counted the cost of discipleship? Do you have something in your life that if you say, if this was taken away from me, I may not follow Jesus anymore. If, if God did this in this world, I wouldn't trust him anymore. Do you understand that that is rocky soil? The gospel has not penetrated. Confess, correct. And in the second soil, there was an understanding and a true feeling. But as the seed sprung up, it did not persevere to maturity because persecution and tribulation came. Now we see the thorny soil. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The soil describes the heart Hearts who have a thorny soil. They listen to the word of God with a divided heart. And here's what's scary. These, these hearts, the, this, this heart, the soil, it's hard to find and it's harder to help. You often don't recognize it until it's being choked out. I didn't know that it was so important for me. They hear God with a divided heart. They're divided and they share their heart with the little g-gods of their life. Success, power, comfort, love, lust, approval. They don't give Christ all. The idea is clear. Worries about the world or devotion to wealth choke to death the gospel in your life. Worries about the world or devotion to wealth will choke out the gospel in your life. One life can only hold so many things. And here Jesus speaks to the person whose life is so full, there is no room for the gospel. The cares of the world are already overflowing their mind. And I don't have to convince you, there's enough to worry and care about in this world. But here we see someone who is so overwhelmed by the cares and the worry of this world that the gospel has no place. The diagnostic question here is, what, it, what do you love most? Or maybe a better question is, what, if you had a little bit more of, do you falsely believe you would find contentment? 
If I only had, insert whatever, I would finally be content. It's a little G God in your life. In this third soil, there was understanding, there was feeling, there was even practicing. It even came to maturity. Yet the life of the seed was eventually choked out by the cares and the worries of the world. And then we come to the good soil. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, 60. And in another, 30. It's hard to listen sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to hear what someone else is truly saying. But may we have ears to hear this morning. Our tendency is to blame the one who's sharing, the one who's casting the seed. Are they really talking about what's important? Are they really faithful, trustworthy? Or we think the gospel message or the thing that's being shared is just not interesting enough. It's too confusing. You've disengaged. It's time to re-engage. As we've seen in our parable, the sower faithfully sows. The seed can't help but to grow. And it is when it is finally met with good soil, it produces abundantly. It doesn't just produce, it produces abundantly. Why? Because disciples make disciples. The parable of the sower shows that though the kingdom will now make its way amid hard hearts, competing pressures, and even failure, it will always produce an abundant crop. But isn't it interesting that it's different? There's different levels of abundant crop, right? But we, in our lives, we're called to not steward someone else's spiritual giftedness. We're not called to steward someone else's life. We're called to steward our own. So may we never look to a brother or sister in Christ and say, I wish I was like this. I wish, if that spurs you on in the Lord, that's good, but never say, I don't see fruit like they see fruit. You are called to be faithful in what the Lord has given you. A step towards Christ is what he's calling you to this morning, not a step towards another person. For those who are in Christ, the gospel seed is growing. The message to you this morning is to trust the pruning hands of the gardener. For he is producing something far greater in you than you could ever ask or imagine, as it says in Ephesians. But to those who, yes, maybe at one time received the gospel, you responded to it, even received it with joy. The call is to come back. The call is that that is not faith. Faith is revealed in works. Faith produces abundantly. Count the cost of following Jesus or the worries of the world will suffocate it yet again. You must listen to what Jesus is saying here this morning. The sower and the seed are faithful, but the soil of your heart must be good to produce. Now, I hope you have a gospel intuition that just went, hmm, what? That doesn't sound like the gospel. That's not the gospel. What makes the soil good? It's not anything in you or me. The gospel is that God did a mighty work in transforming dark, broken, evil soil and he made it good. 
How do you make the soil of your heart good? Jesus. It has nothing to do with you. Nothing. Like, you're like, oh yeah, no, I get it. Nothing but a little something. No! You got to understand, the soil of your heart is made good before you profess faith. You never say yes to Jesus without the miraculous and immediate work of the Holy Spirit at work in your heart, showing, revealing to you that you are a sinner and are in need of Jesus. His work comes before your profession. You have nothing to boast about. And I'm preaching to myself from a pulpit. And I'm saying, there is nothing in me worthy of boasting. All good I do is, comes from the name of Jesus and what he has done in my life. You know why we don't forgive others? You know why we don't share the gospel when we think, man, I don't know if the gospel could save them. It's because we've fallen for the lie that God only saves the good soil. God only works in the good soil. You've forgotten where you've come from, right? I love that phrase. Forgot where you've come from. You are a sinner saved by grace. And it is through faith by grace that you are saved. No one may boast. So as we think of the soil, may we be reminded of the dead, dark, dry soil that you would walk on and say, man, nothing grows in this desert until the Spirit works. And the living water flows. And the gospel seed grows. This is hard to understand. But if you have ears to hear, will you hear it? The sower sows, the seed grows, and the soil that hears produces abundantly. Will you pray with me?